0: Welcome to the Compressed FM podcast, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest.
1: Today's episode is all about how you can use your development skills to automate the boring stuff in your life.
0: My name is James Quick and I'm a JavaScript developer, speaker and teacher.
1: Hello, my name is Amy Dutton and I'm a senior UI UX designer and front end developer
0: development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even at a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compress.
1: Today we are joined by two fabulous sponsors. Zeal is a software consultancy and they are hiring. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. More from both of these later in the show.
0: So let's get into it.
1: James, what have you been up to?
0: I think we have both been doing a lot of travel, but I did something really special last week. Well, one, I went to Buffalo for a wedding. Technically, they were married a year ago, but COVID, so this is kind of like the celebration thing. And we went to Niagara Falls, which is beautiful, hung out with friends. And then the next day after I got back home, I went to Seattle, to Bellevue, specifically to our off-zero office to be with some of my teammates to do some planning for the upcoming quarters to get to hang out for the first time meeting them in person and that was just incredible it's really neat how good zoom works right like it enables yeah. us to do so many things and you take that for granted until you get in person and then you realize nothing is the same as being there in person and being able to have a conversation right there in front of each other so that was super special looking forward to us having some off and things like that in the next six months or so as things starting to loosen up a little bit i think you've probably been doing some travel too we've both been busy and having a hard time finding recording time so what have you been up to
1: that's right. So last weekend we celebrated my grandmother's 101st birthday. So wow. yes, I'm hoping I have those jeans. <laughs> <laughs> and then my son turned 7. So my grandmother is actually very funny about it. Their birthdays two days apart on the calendar, but she was like, Hey, we're
0: twins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Um, but we rented a bouncy house and had all the cousins and everything over. And Isaac said that it was his best birthday ever. And my dad just kind of brought things back to reality and said, yeah, but he can't remember half of his birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) So does, how much does that really count for? But yeah, all in, just in good fun. And then this weekend, we went to Bristol, which is where my husband's from. And my niece and nephew have been staying with us this past week. And so we took them back home and hung out with family for the 4th of July, hung out by the pool, watched fireworks, and literally just drove in. Nice. So fun times.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've both just been on the move. And last night for 4th of July, so i give you a hint at when we're recording this, we did nothing we went out during the day we played golf in the morning we played soccer together in the afternoon and we're just tired i had been traveling she had been traveling so we were just eager to have a night to just hang out by ourselves which is really really nice and then today i was off for the fourth and i've taken three naps watched a lot of tv and like (laughs) totally have been living the not working dream i guess
1: That's awesome. Speaking of sports, you need to try pickleball if you haven't Mm. tried it already. I was introduced to pickleball while we were at the beach and it is one of my new favorite things for people that hadn't heard it. It is a combination of tennis and they say badminton, but I feel like it's more like ping pong. So you're playing on a smaller court than a tennis court and you have more of a paddle, an oversized ping pong paddle and you're playing with a wiffle ball. So it's a little bit slower than tennis, but we had a ton of fun.
0: It's kind of, I think as you get older, it's one of those sports that people start to pick up golf being another one of those. (laughs) One of the churches I played basketball at for a long time, they had like a pickleball league, so we'd have to get kicked off as they were setting up their nets and stuff to play. That's fun. And you know what can give you a lot of extra time to sit around (laughs) and watch Netflix? Here's my cheesy transition for the day, is automation. Automating the things that get repetitive, that you don't want to do, all that sort of stuff. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about some of the benefits. I think most of that is pretty self-explanatory. I think the most exciting or interesting part is talking about some of the things that we have automated ourselves and maybe some of the things that we would like to automate going forward in the future. So I wanted to start with just the idea of like why automate and I think again like pretty self-explanatory automating things help save time not only time it helps save resources. So if you think about having developers or social media people or whoever doing some sort of job if they then don't have to do that job now those resources can be allocated to, to more in quotes here important things. And then also a really underrated aspect of this is consistency. And I want to talk about the idea of CI, CD pipelines here in a second that I'll explain. But there was one example that I wanted to bring up that I had forgotten about until I started talking. And it was, I don't know a whole lot of the details, but it was like a developer in Silicon Valley in the San Francisco area. And he or she, they had basically automated their job. So whatever their job requirements were, they automated to the point where they were working 15 minutes a day or like whatever the amount of time was. And they were still doing everything they were supposed to, they were still getting everything done that they needed to, they just automated it. And they got found out, they hadn't told anyone, they weren't upfront about not working. And the managers found out and then fired the person, which is a really interesting thing, because they still got their job done, it doesn't make them any less valuable, because they were the one to come up with the automations. And it also reminds me of another quote, and I forget exactly how this one goes, but it's, Like some people don't want to hire lazy people, but some people intentionally hire lazy people because they will find ways to improve process or to automate things so that they have less work to do. So it's Mm -hmm. it's this really interesting dichotomy of automation being a really good thing and then in some ways looked at a laziness. But for me, and I think most developers were kind of, intentionally lazy, right? We use shortcuts, we use our editors, we use all these things so that we can do more or work less hard to get the same thing done. And I think in some ways that should be rewarded more than looked down upon.
1: Yeah, definitely. That whole idea of smarter, not harder. Like what would have happened if that company had expanded that guy's role instead of firing him? Because he had automated the whole thing. So let him automate another position.
0: Yeah, just run somebody else out of their role. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like you have these people who have this level of creativity that maybe not other people have or this ideation of how things could be. And I think it goes back to like, we get in this rhythm of just doing things the way they've been done and having mm-hmm. people come in to, to change it up and to challenge the way they've been done is actually, I think a worthwhile thing to at least have conversations around. So I mentioned the idea of CI CD pipelines, and this is CI slash CD, and this is continuous integration, slash continuous, either deployment or development, depending on who you ask. But these pipelines have become really popular in DevOps, developer operations. Is that what that stands for? DevOps? Yeah. As a higher level category of just improving the development process. So CI CD pipelines can do things like as you check in code, it will automatically build the code. It will automatically test the code running automated tests that would be your kind of continuous integration aspect of it. And then you also have the continuous deployment aspect of taking those builds if they pass the test and deploying them to either production or stage servers or things like that. And these sorts of pipelines become so important, so useful, not only because of the time they save, but also to help prevent from user error. I think we've talked about this in the past, like with WordPress sites, if you had updates, you were probably like FTPing up raw files to a server somewhere? And I assume the answer is yes. Like, Amy, have you ever been in a situation where you uploaded the wrong files or you actually deleted files on a server or something like that?
1: Yes, and rollback looks like (laughs) right before you add the new file, you rename the file to have the date. You upload the new file, and if it doesn't Mm -hmm. work, you delete the new file and change the file name back. Just totally a dumb process.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I think a lot of people... And a lot of companies have done. And that's a lot of what we did at FedEx as well. We would build a JAR file. A JAR is when you take a Java project and build it. You get a JAR. And we would take that JAR file. We would FTP it over to one of our test servers. We would do the exact same thing that you just said. We would take the running one. We would rename it to the date. Or we take the new one and name it to the date. Do the swap. Run it. See if it worked. If it didn't work, back out exactly how you said And so these pipelines now basically give you the ability to automate to script how that process works. And after you get that set up one time, then you don't really have to worry about user error, or in theory, the rollback situation, because you've already run all these automated tests. But you could also have rollback be a part of your automation be a part of your pipelines. And so I think that's a really good example of how automation and just pipelines have really changed the way that we do development as teams. And I thought it would be a good thing to cover as we get into some of the places that we've used automations for ourselves and some of the stuff that we do
1: before we go too deep for anybody that's just getting into development and is still stuck on FTP and this new world of CI CD sounds really interesting and incredibly hard. I would point you to a resource for the longest time when I was doing WordPress sites, I used a service called DeployBot, deploy bot and it will actually allow you to hook up your GitHub repository so that when you push code, it will FTP those files over to your server. So it's still using FTP, but there is element of automation in there because you're not having to remember which files you changed and rollback just looks like going back (laughs) to the previous commit. So just because you don't know how to set up all the continuous integration pieces now doesn't mean that it's all or nothing. You can take baby steps to kind of get into that world. And I think the same is true as we talk about all these other automations. You don't have to set everything up today. Just do one automation at a time. And before you know it, more of your life will be automated than less.
0: Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought up that example, because that's exactly how things like Netlify work Mm -hmm. as well, right? When you create a new site in Netlify, you connect it to a GitHub repository, they're actually doing some sort of file transfer. FTP is file transfer protocol. I don't know if we said that. But they're actually transferring those files from your GitHub repository over to the Netlify servers, and then basically turning on the hosting for them or redirecting domains to them or whatever the actual process is. So that's a lot of what we know and use today. And thankfully, we're in a position now as developers where we don't have to do all that stuff ourselves. And it can help save us a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of resources, and then the consistency. Just knowing or having a much better feeling that things are going to work the way they should and kind of eliminate the user error
1: piece. Mm One of our sponsors does exactly that. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. We're hosting the compressed.fm site on Vercel and I'm hosting my personal site, SelfTeach.me on Vercel as well. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, and they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in. And then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus JAMstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard. So here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view Analytics. So as soon as I push code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code, and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes. But special thanks to Vercel for being a compressed.fm sponsor.
0: So we kind of phrase this as automations for developers, but I think we also should just acknowledge you don't have to necessarily be a developer to get into this automation mindset. And there's two applications that I've used at least one of these a bit. I don't know, Amy, if you have, but IFTTT and Zapier. And IFTTT is if this, then that. And they both are more or less the same kind of thing where you set some sort of condition when somebody tweets with a certain hashtag, if I post a new video to YouTube, and then you have an action that is based on that. So when that thing happens, when that trigger happens, what do we want to do? Well, if somebody posts with a certain hashtag, I might save it to a file in Google Sheets or something like that. Or if I post something to YouTube, I might send out an automatic tweet. Those are two no code options. So you don't have to know any code to be able to set up some automations yourself. Have you used either or both of those before?
1: Yes. I used If This Then That a long time ago. Most of the automations I've run recently have been through Zapier. And I have several set up for various sites and productivity tips, actions, automations.
0: (laughs) Do you want to share any of those now?
1: Oh. (laughs) No. (laughs) Just keep them. (laughs) No shares for me. The end. Thanks for listening. I'm just kidding. So probably the biggest one that I use with Zapier is if somebody fills out a form, I'm using Quest Forms, I will have it send me a message in Slack. I've set up another one where if somebody registers, they get added to a particular membership tier. So the cool thing about Zapier is it has probably just about any application that you want hooked into it. And very easily, you can select the app and then select the action. And you can also do more complex stuff by adding conditionals, you can set up essentially a cron job, a cron job is something that you run in a scheduled interval. And so Zapier will let you say, hey, every hour, or every day do this. So the possibilities are literally endless.
0: Yeah, it's so amazing how good those platforms are at integrating with other platforms, because this may seem a little far fetched. But I've had this idea for like a talk, a demo of uh, Rube Goldberg machine. So Rube Goldberg machine is when you connect a bunch of seemingly random things to each other. And by rolling a ball down a slide, it hits dominoes, the dominoes fall over, they knock over this lever, which then like releases this other thing. And this other thing hits like, it just keeps on going. And that's kind of In some ways, we talked about this, I think, before, like the Jamstack is kind of like that. We're picking all of these different services out there and then combining them ourselves. Instead of writing all the code to handle forms, we could use something like Quez Forms. Instead of doing image manipulation or transformations, we could use something like Cloudinary. And we start to just put these pieces together. So IFTTT and Zapier, Zapier is probably the one I would use going forward as well. Help kind of take that process on for you and make it really accessible for you to do that without having to write any code yourself.
1: So another no-code thing that might get overlooked pretty easily is a checklist. And I know this sounds really dumb because there's not a lot of tech behind it, but there's a book called The Checklist Manifesto, and it talks about research that was done behind hospitals and even flight simulation. But you have situations where experts were missing very simple steps. And it's just in that moment, it seems so routine that it gets overlooked. And so they were able to dramatically cut down on deaths, even in hospitals, by just having a simple checklist that a nurse could say, did you do this? Did you do this? And I have found the same to be true, even within my workflow. Obviously, I'm not saving a person's life every day. But with my YouTube videos, for example, or even this podcast, I have a checklist that I go through to make sure that all my bases are covered and that I do everything necessary in order to get that YouTube video or podcast published. The next step would be to automate that and have the computer do that. But even just having a written list increases the bandwidth in my brain because I'm not having to remember these little tiny steps. And that's the whole point of automation, I think, is to give your brain more bandwidth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you went down a perfect place with the checklist and then getting into YouTube videos because I've got a couple of examples that are relevant to me with my YouTube videos in terms of sponsorships and then with streams that I do. So I do the Learning Quick streams, James Q Quick on Twitch. Amy was on the channel several months ago. She was on the stream. So you can find that on YouTube, actually, if people are interested. But I do these weekly live streams where I have a guest on and we talk about Something that they know that they can kind of teach me or help me learn about, or we can just have a casual chat. And I wanted to help automate as much of these things as possible. There's kind of a lot that goes into setting that up, just logistically reaching out to people, confirming a date, creating cover images, promoting them on Twitter, that sort of stuff. So I've got a few things in here that I did to help kind of automate that process. So the first thing is I've got a form in Airtable. You'll hear Airtable pop up several places in this episode. And I use Airtable to store all the metadata for my YouTube videos, for my live streams, for sponsorship requests. I've really started to try to organize myself in Airtable. And you can create these forms that are publicly accessible, just like Google Forms, and you can send people there to fill out those forms and it creates a record for you in your Airtable database. So I created a form for guests to come on the live stream. So name, email, link to a profile picture, idea or title for a stream, any extra details that sort of stuff and then also have another form for sponsorship request so anytime someone wants to sponsor my channel I say hey can you go fill out this form so I have a centralized place where I have contact info what they're interested in I can mark down how much the sponsorship is for and just kind of keep all those details together and one of the cool things inside of airtable that you can do airtable has automations built in so you can check like hey if a record, is let's say there's a publish date of this Friday, I can set a record that says, hey, a week after the publish date, go ahead and archive that record. I no longer need it in this specific view. Move that to a different view. So I've got lots of different little small things like that, including automatic emails or notifications with new records. So if someone fills out a live stream form or the sponsorship form, I can have it send me an email that way I know to go and look and see that information. And that's super easy to use. It's just like we talked about with IFTTT and Zapier, you do a condition when this thing happens, what's the action? Well, I want it to send me a notification, which works out really well. Now, the really cool thing with Airtable, and I think a lot of this, at least from my perspective, will revolve around Airtable. But the really cool thing there is you can combine the no code automations with your own code automations. So we talked about a few that you can do uh, no code. And then also you can have a button on a record that will trigger a certain block of code. So if I have a record for a live stream with Amy coming up, I can click a certain button and the automation that I've set up is to generate the cover image for that live stream. So if people are curious what these images look like, you can go to jamesqquick.com slash streams and you can find some of the old streams on YouTube. You can look at these on Twitch as well. But basically what happens is I need to have an image of me, an image of the guest, a title for the stream, the name of the guest, the guest title, and then a date as well. I need all that information, but none of that stuff really changes. So I don't really want to create a new one myself by hand. I wanted to set up some sort of way to automate this stuff. And so with the form that they submit, they send me all of that information, their name, their title, the title of the stream, they send me a link to their profile picture. And what I would do is click a button inside of Airtable, which triggers a script, then JavaScript, the editor inside of Airtable actually works really, really nicely. That script will send a request with that information to a serverless function in Netlify, serverless functions in Netlify are like my catch all for I can do almost anything there. So it'll send a request to a serverless function running in Netlify, that function will grab that information, it will then use Cloudinary, I think we've talked about Cloudinary a bit on the podcast, but Cloudinary is a service that can do image transformations and image optimizations And the transformations means you can add on images and text onto an existing image. So I have like a base template for the stream cover image. And then by adding on the guest title, the guest name, the date, their image, and then the stream title, I can generate that final image inside of Cloudinary and basically return back a link to that image because Cloudinary works with the URL based transformations, which means you have a URL for the image itself. And then you can kind of finagle the URL to change the width and height or to change the format or to do these additions of text and images on top of it. And so the outcome of me pushing the button inside of Airtable is it returns back the URL for the newly created image and then saves that image inside of the Airtable record. So that when I go and view this record for the stream from now on, I can actually see that cover image. And it also gives me the raw URL that I can use if I need to, like the one from Cloudinary, because what I can do with that one is I could change out the width and height if I wanted a smaller resolution image by just transforming that URL just a bit.
1: That's awesome that it does all that. I'm curious, how long does it take to run that script?
0: The script, second, maybe two. The interesting thing with Cloudinary is any transformation you add to an image, they create that image and then cache it for you. So if I were to do one of these images with click the button, send the information off to the serverless function, it will be creating that image for the first time. It takes maybe a second. It's almost really not noticeable, especially in terms of like being a problem. And if I were to use that URL again, that includes the transformations, it's already cached that version of the image. So it's going to send it right back to me and also means in Cloudinary that you're not being charged for another transformation after you've already transformed it and they've cached it. So it's like nice. you take that one time hit and then that image is just readily available whenever you need it.
1: And Cloudinary has a very generous free plan. I've never had to pay for anything I've done on Cloudinary. Grant I haven't done a ton, but it's been pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, I haven't done a ton either, but I use these automations all the time to create the cover images. And honestly, this was just something that I was really interested in. It's really neat learning how to put these pieces together to create something that's really useful for me because you could very easily have a template in Figma and you could swap out the guest image every time you could swap out the information. But I was looking at Airtable. I've already got all the information there. And so I wrote a script to do this and it just, it works out really neatly.
1: I manually do all that stuff for compressed. I should definitely move it over to that system because it's fast and easy, but I'm still going to take at least a minute Mm -hmm. to get everything done. Whereas you're just talking about seconds.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I will say one of the things I'm still haven't fully optimized Because I want to have the title text of the stream pretty big, I have to kind of limit how many words I send to the serverless function, which Mm. means occasionally I will create a title, create the image and realize it doesn't fit the way I wanted it, and then update the text to be something slightly smaller. So there actually is a way in Cloudinary that I need to update to do this, where it'll kind of shrink its width and height, and then it'll shrink the text size to fit that. So I might nice. experiment with that in the future to have that be a little better fit. So I, I definitely have had some manual like recreated again with a slightly different title. But for the most part, I click that button and it's done.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I do want to explain serverless functions for anybody that's not yeah. familiar. Because for the longest time, that was over my head a little bit. But that's just JavaScript that's running on the server. I'm assuming you're already in JavaScript. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. I know it sounds really fancy, but... For a lot of us, we write JavaScript every day. All that is, is having a function that runs on the server.
0: And the serverless aspect of that is a misnomer. There, in fact, is a server that the code is running on. What it really means is from a developer's perspective, you don't have to care about that server at all. So what you can do in your project is you can have a folder that includes your serverless functions. Each file will have a function definition in it. And it will match whatever format the host provider is looking for. And then you do whatever you would like if you were building a regular REST endpoint in Node and Express. It looks almost the same, except it's not actually running in Express. It's just running Node that your host provider takes care of. Again, you don't have to care anything about the server itself. You just write a function, and that basically becomes your endpoint. So it's less maintenance, it's less things for you, the developer, to think about. And it's quicker and easier to just get set up with backend functionality and not have to worry about the entire server as a whole. And there's a couple of things for people to consider. Serverless functions, there's no in-memory storage. So you can't track sessions or anything in memory because serverless functions spin up and then go away. So you can't hold any data like that. Although probably best practice is to not do that regardless of using a full node server. So there are some quirks, but in this case, it works so well to just quickly and easily set up some endpoints for you to work with building on the creation of the cover images for the streams, there's an escalation of that that I had to take care of from an automation perspective. So Amy, you and I both have used Sanity IO in the past for headless CMS, for our data storage, for our sites. That's what I'm using on my personal James Q. Quick site. And I store my blog posts, I store information about streams, I store my previous talks, all that sort of stuff lives in Sanity and then gets included on my site at build time in my Gatsby site. So at build time, it go and grabs that information and then statically generates all the pages and information that comes from Sanity. So my dilemma was, I'm taking in this information from a form in Airtable. I'm getting all the information there. I'm generating the cover image, which saves it into Airtable as well. But then I was needing to copy all of that information over to Sanity so that it could be readily available in my website. I realized, hey, this is another example of I probably shouldn't be doing all of this stuff manually, if I can go ahead and take care of it myself. So this is a very similar process. I think this is so neat. Again, in Airtable, I can have a button that triggers a script inside of the script. This is just JavaScript. It takes the data out of that record, almost the exact same data that we used to create the cover image, we take almost that exact same data, we send that again to another serverless function inside of that serverless function, it connects the sanity, it will either create a new record in Sanity if it doesn't exist already, or it will update the existing record with this information about the stream from Airtable. And I don't think I have it set up to automatically kick off a build for the site. But then I would do a build of my site to make sure that that new information is displaying correctly and included on jamesqquick.com.
1: That's so cool. And sanity's API is incredibly easy to work with. I was amazed how easily I was able to update stuff with the compressed site using their API. I thought this kind of goes along with my misconception of what a serverless function is, but I thought a node app would be incredibly difficult to write a command line app. But when I was working on the compressed site, I didn't quite finish this code, but basically I used Descript to edit the podcast and that will give you a transcript of everything that we say. So I wanted to be able to put that on an individual episode page so that if somebody wanted to just skim it or even SEO purposes, all that content's there. But it's formatted in a slightly different format than what I designed. But with even a Node app, you can transform that data. And with Sanity's API, I could basically just send the command line, this is my file. And then it would create that transcript format in the way that I needed Mm -hmm. it to be on that entry. So instead of me spending literally hours trying to format a transcript, it would do all that for me.
0: Yay. I love it. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Like the automation stuff doesn't necessarily, I mean, it doesn't have to be that complicated per se from a code perspective, right? Right. It just has to solve a problem. After talking about this, I bet you start to think about that with the things that you do on a daily basis. And you start to realize Mm -hmm. like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity for automation I just need to sit down and spend a little time. And I think that's another thing too. Like I'm a little automation trigger happy. I want to automate everything just because I think it's fun. I feel like I'm able to really solve problems as a developer, but a couple of things to keep in mind, it takes time to actually set up the automation. And so you have to gauge what's the time that you put in versus what's the time and effort and resources and things that you save if it works. And then how do you maintain it? I mentioned earlier doing the automations, the serverless function that does my cover images, I've had to tweak that on and off again. And I've been in a situation where I've tried to create it, the text didn't fit the way I wanted. And then I had to do something manual to get past that for the time being, because I didn't have time to sit down and update the code to do exactly what I wanted. So there's obviously trade offs in that specific scenario, it's 100% been worth the time that I've put in. It's not 100% perfect. There's still things to update and add, but that's something to consider. It's just how much time does it take to get to the initial spot of it's working? And then if you have any updates or tweaks and stuff, do you have the ability to take that on in the future as well? Sure. So we talked a lot about my personal stuff for my streams, but one of the things I wanted to do is help support content creators of the community and specifically the Learn, Build, Teach community. So that's the Discord that I run. Amy is a moderator there and spends a lot of time in the Compressed FM channel. Yes, we have a Compressed FM channel and a design (laughs) channel. So you should definitely check that out and join us and join the conversation there. But one of my goals this year was to spend more time supporting other creators. And so I had this idea of there's a lot of people in Discord that they write articles, they do YouTube videos, they do live streams, they do all the things that Amy, you and I do a lot. And I wanted to support and share those things. So I created a Discord bot, which this is kind of a fun rabbit hole in and of itself, where you can listen for specific commands that happen in Discord and then do whatever you want when those commands are run. And so I created a share command where people can share things that they've created. So you run the share command and then a link to a blog post, YouTube video, et cetera. And what that does is it saves that record in a table for me, an Airtable, And then basically what I have at this point is I have just the list of all the things that people have created in the community that they wanted to share and maybe get some extra promotion on. But I didn't have a great way to actually share that stuff. So I could go in, I could manually look like, hey, here's a cool record for me to add. I could go on Twitter, I could post about it. But I figured this is another opportunity to automate and just have that stuff taken care of for me. So you mentioned earlier the word cron job and cron job is something that you can schedule basically a function to be run every X number of minutes, every X number of hours, or you can have it run at a specific time every day, things like that. And so what I did as part of my discord bot, which actually is a full node server and it runs in Heroku, I created a cron job. I forget the actual package, but it's like cron JS or node cron or something like that. And I created the cron job that will go and look inside of Airtable it will grab one of those articles or things that people have shared and it will tweet it to my personal account and it will use a template that says like, go check out X article by this name from the Learn, Build, Teach community. And so that's been running every night for the past couple of months so far. There is one piece that is a little bit manual. I don't want to just automatically assume, although the people in the server are fantastic, I don't want to automatically assume that no one ever is going to post something that may be inappropriate. So I have a little bit of moderation set up for that where I have just the checkbox. So inside of Airtable, occasionally I'll go on, I'll scroll the list and I'll hit the checkbox for the property that is called tweetable. And if that thing is tweetable, then the cron job will pick it up at night. It will post it to Twitter and then it will mark it as tweeted, which is its way of knowing that it shouldn't tweet that thing again. So it's been really neat. That was a fun thing to build. It's been tweeting people's articles and videos and things for the past couple of months. Been working really well. And now I get a way to support people in the community. And the only thing I have to do is once a week, spend five minutes to scroll through the list and just mark things as acceptable to be tweeted. That's awesome. So I feel like this has been a lot of me talking, but hopefully like the excitement that I have for automation is coming across for people.
1: I'm taking notes. The wheels in my brain are just spinning. Like, what can I automate?
0: Once you start to do it, you realize there's, there's tons of opportunities.
1: I love how you've just really hacked Airtable. Mm-hmm. I use Notion for so many things and within the last month or two, they opened up their API to be able to do a lot of these automations. And I've seen YouTube videos of people talking about it, but I need to pull the trigger and actually hook some of those up.
0: Yes, I will highly encourage you to do that. I will watch the video when you do. If people are listening, and you want Amy to create a video on the Notion API, let us know on Twitter, the compressed FM handle on Twitter, tag us both, and put some more pressure on Amy to create the amazing (laughs) content to do that.
1: I already have some pressure from our productivity episode, which you should check that out to talk about how I use default folder X and carabiner.
0: Nice. Yeah. And those make for great shorts on YouTube. So I've done short videos, Mm. but specifically like a short that's like a minute or a minute and a half or something. People have had some success with those. So I want to try some of those out. And that's a perfect Mm. opportunity for just the 45 seconds to a minute. Here's how I use this really quickly.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah. Because I have my series planned out. I don't want to break my series, Mm -hmm. but that would be a great way to just stick something in. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give a quick plug for one of our sponsors, Zeal. Zeal is a software consultancy and they are hiring. So, I work for Zeal. Like I said, they're a software consultancy and they design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. They're a remote first company, even before the pandemic. They're based out of Southern Oregon, but I live outside of Nashville and we have team members across the entire country. But Zeal holds a special place in my heart because as I mentioned, I work there, but I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring. So you could work with me. At Zeal, one of our core principles is bridge the gap. So we've noticed there's a gap in the industry between juniors and seniors. So we want to help juniors level up and achieve that next level within their career path. So with that in mind, I'm going to highlight a particular job that we're hiring for right now, and I'm super stoked about this. It's called the software residency, and this position is specifically for that junior designer or developer that wants to be mentored, level up, and eventually become a senior. So this position is all about becoming that unicorn, uh, for lack of a better word, but it's That person that can do UI, UX, and development. So, similar to a medical residency, you'll be partnered actually with me and we'll work together on projects. We'll also be partnering with Learn, which is a coding boot camp, and they'll provide career growth and professional development through one on one coaching. So, I think the whole setup is pretty unique. You can find more information on the website, softwareresidency.com, and of course, I'll include a link within the show notes. Special thanks to Zeal for being a compressed. FM sponsor.
0: So there's one more thing that I've 90% automated recently, and that is my newsletter. This again comes from Airtable. So I have a, a table for newsletters, and I can basically fill out a first paragraph of my newsletter of what the title is and what the first paragraph would be. And then after the first paragraph, I promote my stream for that day. So it goes into Airtable. This is all kicked off in a serverless function. It grabs the first paragraph of here's what the main content is. It puts that together. It then goes and grabs the information for today's stream. So it looks in my stream records and looks for one that matches today's date. It grabs that, including the title, the guest, the image. And then it goes down to the learn, build, teach, share table. And it grabs relevant and recent articles, videos, content from people in the community. Similar to how I have a tweeted flag, I have an emailable flag (laughs) so that I can decide whether or not it's something I might want to include in my newsletter. So it grabs those links and then it does a little promo thing at the bottom. And basically what it does is it spits all of that out as an HTML page. So what I do is I copy that entire page and then paste it into Podia, which is where I do my emails. And 95% of it looks the way it should. I had some formatting things that I had to figure out. But for the most part, I paste it into Podia and then click send. So, that I thought was really cool because again, I get the way to promote my stream. Oh, another thing is recent videos that I've done. So, I've got a record in Airtable for recent videos myself. So, I get to promote my stream, my recent YouTube videos, and then content from the community, and then some sort of like call out. Recently, it's been uh, focused on the Compressed FM podcast. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like it's just fun as a developer to use those <laughs> skills and to automate things that other people may not be able to like, I think that's just one of the special abilities that we have. And one of the really empowering things that we have as developers is to just see a problem and solve it with code. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one thing, or I guess two things I was thinking about for the future of things I'd like to automate. One is cross posting articles. So if I were to create an article on my blog, I'd like to cross post that automatically to dev.to and hash node. I don't, know how easy or anything that is. There's a few things that are different on each. So I've got some figuring out there. And then I also at one point had played around with setting up automated tweets to promote my stream. So what it would do is if I create a stream in sanity, it would then create two additional tweet records that were like a day before and then three days before. And it would promote the stream that way. And I want to get back to doing that just so I can have a little bit of visibility throughout the week to the upcoming stream because i think like even if they don't get that much traction posting about something two or three times in a week gets it on people's radar more if you only post once Mm -hmm. you have no idea who sees it so if you post a few times during the week then i think i've got a better shot at bringing people in and that's the kind of stuff that like after i have that set up i wouldn't have to worry about it again
1: yeah that'd be really nice
0: All right. So as we wrap up the main content here, we can move into our two favorite closing sections. The first is the grab bag questions section, where we take questions from friends and strangers alike of the internet. And we've got one is developer cam is I think our MVP on questions for grab bag questions. So another shout out for developer cam for always being a part of Uh, The process for us, always being engaged when we have uh, posts and look for questions.
1: We should just have him on.
0: (laughs) Yes, we should. We should just have him on specifically for the end of the episode for him to just ask. (laughs) Like, let's just have him on live to ask whatever questions he has. So he's got a couple in here. What tools do you use to automate tasks? Do you program as many automations as possible? And do you use IFTTT? I know we've kind of answered a little bit of those already. So Amy, what do you think about the couple of questions that developer Cam has for us?
1: Yeah. So the tools I use, we pretty much covered. I use Zapier. Oh, you know what I also use, and I didn't even think about this, is Hazel. And that's just a program. It's made by a company called NoodleSoft and that runs locally on my computer so you don't have to have just automations that are up in the cloud or on the internet and there's a few that I've set up there for handling files so it'll dump the trash on my computer after two months. I figure if I haven't looked at a file in my trash in two months I definitely don't need it so it'll delete that and then it will also rename files for me so anytime I save a receipt as a PDF onto my computer it will rename that file based on the date so that when I get ready to enter it into QuickBooks, the date has all the files organized correctly. So there's a few automations you can even do locally on your computer. And again, those are no code. I just tell it things to do. (laughs) (laughs) I just tell it, go do these things for me. So funny. And I've used if this then that in the past, but I don't think I have any current workflows running. We did have a guy on our team that was really into automations and he even had stuff set up with his phone and geofencing. So anytime he was say at the grocery store, it would text his wife and say, "Do you need me to pick up anything?" Or if he was within a certain distance from home, it would turn on the lights on his house so that he didn't have to walk into a dark house. So there's tons and tons of things that you can do. And I don't program as many automations as James does, but this episode definitely has me inspired to go down that rabbit hole a little bit further. And I think it starts kind of how we started the episode, talking about that checklist. Because when you look at that checklist, as you create things, you start to ask yourself, which pieces and parts of these can be automated? What can I have the computer do for me so that I don't have to do it for myself?
0: It's an endless rabbit hole. And so the question about programming is much as possible. In theory, yes. But again, like I have no amount of time to do all the things that I would like to especially you Mm started to get into like IoT and your connected devices like there's just so much. And it's just it's a fun world. I feel like I've only really scratched the surface, even though I have spent a decent amount of time kind of looking at how to optimize and automate stuff for myself. So maybe we'll come Mm -hmm. out with some cool automations in the future and do a follow up episode on something that we built.
1: That'd be fun our last segment is called picks and plugs. And this is where we pick something that we like that we enjoy using. And then we typically plug something that we've been working on lately. So James, what are your picks and plugs for the week?
0: Yeah, I forgot to mention earlier, when I went to Seattle, one of the things that I did is start to build out a recording studio in our office, which I am so excited about. It's a little weird, because I've now since come back home and I'm not there to help people use it or anything. So I have to figure out that. But it reminded me of one of the things that's been really helpful for me that was really cheap. It's a tripod stand from Amazon. It's an Amazon Basics one and it's 30 bucks, like way cheaper than a lot of other tripods that are 60, 100, $150. But it's been amazing. It can be relatively small, it can be really tall if we need to it has a level bubble on it. So you can see if things are level, it's got different levers to move things around. And it's got a clip that you can leave inside of your camera so that you don't have to like screw the camera on every time you can just quick clip it in. So it's super nice. It's 30 bucks on Amazon, highly recommended. The link that we have is only for the gold color, it looks like. So I have a gray and black color. So you may have to look or maybe search to see if you can find a different color if you need it. But it's pretty sweet. I highly recommend it if you're doing any sort of video content yourself. And then for pics, I'm going to pick my YouTube channel. This is Getting almost down to crunch time in a weird way, where I'm approaching a hundred thousand followers on YouTube, which is mm-hmm. one of my biggest goals for myself of all time. So I'm at eighty five now, and it looks like in the next couple of months I will hit it. Awesome! Uh, so check me out. Do
1: you get a play button?
0: I, in theory, yes. Again, this is <laughs> going to be yeah, this is going to be one of my biggest accomplishments. Like I never, I had this as a goal for 2021, and I legitimately didn't think it was possible, and. That's awesome. for me to be approaching that number is just really, really exciting.
1: We're not even done with the year.
0: I know. Yeah, I have to update my goal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Amy, what about you for picks and plugs?
1: Yeah, so my pick since we've been traveling, I've been listening to tons and tons of podcasts, and I love it. It gets me excited about the future and different plans and things like that. So I'm gonna plug a podcast that I recently started listening to, and it's called Creative Elements. And the way that it was described or pitched to me was how I built this for creatives. And the episode that I actually listened to today was an interview with Ali Abdul. And so if you guys have heard of him, he is also a YouTuber. He has, I think, one. 3 million subscribers, but he started off as a med student at Cambridge University in the UK and just talking about his experience and talking about how he studies for exams, but it's kind of morphed into productivity and different life hacks and things like that. And he's now a full-time doctor, but he continues to YouTube and actually that's Really, his full time job for the next year or so. I think he is going to go back to medicine. But, anyways, in this podcast, Creative Elements, they interviewed him and talking about his whole process and how he got started. And it was just really humbling to hear him talk about when he had the 64th subscriber and what that meant to him and how his revenue has increased and what his metrics were there. And the thing that really stuck out to me in this episode that really encouraged and challenged me was he. He said, there's a difference between creating and documenting. And was saying a lot of times as creators, we want to create something brand new and be the first person to come reveal this thing. And that holds a lot of people back because they don't have any grandiose ideas or they look at other people and they say, they've already covered this topic. There's tons of articles or blog posts or YouTube videos or podcasts on this particular thing. What do I have to offer? And so he said, instead, flip that question on its head and talk about documenting. What have you learned recently that you want to document? And that resonates with people a lot more because they don't necessarily want an expert telling them this is how you do it. And a lot of times experts are even removed from the situation. They don't remember what it was like in the beginning. But if you can document that, that's far more interesting to say, I'm a student and I'm learning this just like you. And this is what I figured out this week. And so when you look at it that way, then you can look around and say, everything is material all the things that I did this week where I was building something insanity and trying to figure out why it would or wouldn't work. I can document that. I can talk about that struggle and that's far more interesting to people than dictating how you should do everything. So anyways, I would just encourage you to check out that podcast. It's called creative elements and we'll include a link in the show notes. And then my plug for the week is my YouTube channel, Self Teach Me, and I'm still going through that series on creating an audio player within React. And the most recent video that should drop by the time this episode is live talks about how to create time jumps. So if you go to a specific link, it will automatically jump you to that part in the podcast, and we'll start playing there. But I'm excited about some of the content. I had somebody post in the comments that they said that when you reach the end of the audio file, nothing happens. Like it still looks like it's playing and the playhead doesn't go anywhere. So that's an upcoming video as well. I just wrote the script for that. So I'm kind of excited about the upcoming content.
0: Sweet. I love the idea of everything is content. That's something I've tried to embrace and really encourage for people, especially as you think about starting a podcast or starting a YouTube video, like whatever you're thinking about starting. People have said, you know, I don't know how to start. I don't know what to talk about first. I always say like in the last week you learned something what was that thing, and share that thing. That's your first video or talk. And I think it takes the pressure off. If you consider yourself a learner, you embrace that and then become that sharer that you're talking about because everyone goes through that learning process. It's so huge. That's something I've talked a lot about in my boot camps that I've taught is tons of people are going through this and have gone through this and will continue to go through this They will benefit from your perspective, no matter how new, no matter how small, no matter how anything, people will benefit from that perspective.
1: And even as you're trying to grow your channels, this is interesting too, I'd never really thought about it like this, but say there's 100 articles out there on sanity, I'd use that as an example earlier. It's not like when somebody searches for sanity, your blog post or YouTube video is going to be the 101st entry, it's not going to be 20 pages down, Google encourages recency And so as long as it's relevant and helpful to people, it could be the number one entry, even though there are 100 previous articles on that. So that was also just a different way for me to think about the content that I'm creating.
0: Absolutely. Well, on that note, I think we have talked enough about automations. If you have anything that you've automated out there, please tag us on Twitter and let us know. We'd love to see some really cool stories. In the next episode, we are going to have mainly Amy talk all about Figma. And I am looking forward to that as a Figma intermediate user, I guess. Certainly not a power user. I'm interested to hear what Amy has to share about Figma. But in the meantime, that's all we got.